last day of our 10-part sermon series on 1 Samuel, and we're in chapter 31, verses 1 through 13 today, and uh, John spoke really a message that was um, an isolated message in terms of content, like it was a story about David, it really had nothing to do with this story I'm about to read about Saul, um, and uh, but two weeks ago I preached a sermon where Saul consults a medium, um, basically going through the medium of an evil spirit to call up uh, Samuel to hear from Samuel. And Samuel um, comes up, by the way, I'll just, I won't rehearse this, what I preached about two weeks ago, but um, only go through Jesus when you're seeking um, when you're seeking revelation, <laughs> rather than dark power, dark power is real, but it's lesser power and it's destructive power, and God's power is good power and it's life-giving, okay? <laughs> so, um, little side note there, but uh, so he calls on, uh, and, and he hears this message that he's going to be defeated tomorrow and that he is going to die, and that's where our story picks up. So if you guys can stand in honor of God's word. And there's a lot of weird words in here that I'll probably say wrong myself, but I won't make, I won't ask you to say them with me. Um, and so I'll read this by myself this morning for that reason. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled, and the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. When the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men marched through the night to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh, where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Don't you get, wish you get to preach this message? <laughs> no, I'm uh, excited to preach this message. You know, the, the Philistines... Um, 
as you can see, uh, they were brutal to their enemies, and this was custom uh, for them, especially to kings, right? And like many other pagan nations, um, they wanted to send a message um, of their victory. And note that they hung the armor in the temple of Ashtoreths. Um, and this, you know, in, in mutilating Saul's body, um, you know, this would have been, uh, for any Jew to not be buried, number one, would have been humiliating and sacrilegious. Um, to do what they did to Saul uh, would, you know, just be outright scandalous, you know, and, and um, especially tragic. So they put his armor in the temple of Ashtoreth. Now, Ashtoreth was a common deity uh, among pagan nations, uh, a false god um, that, much like Baal, it was complementary with Baal. There would often be Baal and Ashtoreth and these different gods. Um, it would be, um, they'd have multiple gods. But the chief god of the Philistines was Dagon. And um, I mentioned that to say that because the Philistines defeated the Israelites, they actually would have perceived that Dagon, their chief god, had triumphed over Yahweh. And so this for them would have been more significant than just a physical triumph. It's interesting to note, too, that Samuel the prophet, um, who is dead by the time of this passage, that he ceaselessly prayed for Israel, and that Saul's name means prayed for. And the prayers had ceased, and the defeat came um, in the life of Saul, and it just reminds me of the power of prayer. I was talking with, or I, my friend was in a really hard conversation um, not long ago, and uh, they said it was like the conversation shifted, um, and he knew that some were praying for him in that conversation. <laughs> and I'm just reminded through this uh, story and, and that of the power of prayer. As we evaluate Saul's life and leadership, I think it's good to note um, some things about his 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 reign as king, given that he dies in this passage. One is that he had a lot of successful military campaigns. They were measured by great defeats of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, and a number of other people groups. And much like us today, in terms of earthly success, right, we'll measure using statistics. Um, my son Reed is a statistics guy. I'm a statistics guy. He gets that honestly. Um, and I grew up uh, just loving sports. And measuring success was just really fun for me to do that in those tangible ways. And so, you know, in the 90s for me, like most everyone else, it was Michael Jordan. And I still believe he's the greatest. And I think that, you know, if Devontae were preaching this message, it would be Kobe. And if Marquise, my other friend, was preaching this message, it would be LeBron. But they're not. And I'm, I'm, preaching, this, I'm preaching today, so it's Michael Jordan. <laughs> no. But what did, I use, what did we use to measure those things, right? It's, it's not too hard, right? Championships. Uh, average points per game. Total number of points. And some other cate fun categories. But... Um, you know, Deion Sanders uh, would be another example of a great athlete um, in the 90s. And, and he said, 
Uh, he won a couple championships. He has some records. He's in the Hall of Fame. But he said that uh, after he won his first Super Bowl and before he came to Christ, that he thought that this would be it. Like, this would be it, this, con this conquest of this, this championship. And he still felt just as empty. He was just like, I knew there was something greater out there. I knew there was a greater truth, and so he began to pursue truth, and he, and he found Christ, and he found satisfaction through relationship with Jesus. He found satisfaction in submitting his life in worship to Jesus, and much to Dion's point, God was not measuring Saul's military success in terms of that which he was looking for from Saul right? God even aided him in his military success, and he wanted him to be successful in that way. But what he was looking for was Saul's submission to him as God. What he was looking for was for Saul to find his satisfaction in God. And Saul would not do that. I think that this is the fourth sermon I'm preaching on Saul, and uh, you know, and so you've heard me say over and over again, Saul did not trust in God. He did not have faith in God. Um, and what God was after all the while was God's heart, or excuse me, Saul's heart, for him to trust in God and to put his faith in the Lord. And instead of doing that, um, Saul in really the pattern, or as a microcosm of his life, he takes his life. He takes his life again into his own hands. This sermon is not going to be about suicide, but I do want to make reference to it here very briefly to say that if you have a loved one who struggles with dark thoughts or who has a friend or, or loved one who's killed themselves or you uh, have struggled with dark thoughts or even suicidal ideations or are now, for those who are on live stream, for those who are here, I just want to say um, that there are a lot of helpful, practical resources. Please come to me after the service and I want to... Uh, talk with you about that and pray with you um, if you're here. Um, and for those on live stream as well, just message us here at the church. Um, but I also want to say that sometimes these things are spiritual in nature. We've seen several people set free from um, a kind of spirit of suicide that has planted thoughts in their head to do this or to think that. And we want you to know that there's freedom from that as well. And I also want you to know, if that's you today, um, whether it's mental health, whether it's spiritual, whether it's both, I want you to know that there is hope and that you're not alone. And by you're not alone, I don't just mean there are other people who have those struggles. By you're not alone, I mean Jesus is with you. That Jesus is watching over you right now. And that he is looking upon your face and you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. And so um, I even just want to pray real briefly right now. Lord Jesus, in your name, um, we pray that you would expose the root of any thoughts that are from the enemy, any condemning thoughts, any lying thoughts, any suicidal thoughts in the name of Jesus. 
We pray that you would expose and that you would heal and free your loved ones now in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, and I right now, take up authority and bind any spirit of suicide, and I command it to shut up, and I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, and so, what I'm about to say about Saul here um, is uh, not, it's not, um, people can, ha can make these decisions and have these thoughts for various reasons. So what I'm about to say about Saul is not a reflection of what I think about anyone else who might have these thoughts or have struggled with this, okay? But I reference Saul took his own life really like kind of as a microcosm of his life, right? Like he was always taking his life into his own hands rather than trusting God with his life. And so, you know, Saul first, uh, I've shared this before, but Saul first uh, didn't do what God said to do in terms of a number of military campaigns and, and, and uh, or in terms of waiting for God to, or, or waiting for Samuel to come and make a sacrifice or, you know, he would act hastily and do things in his own strength. Um, he would grow in his jealousy and fear of David. You know, there would be this song that was sung that David, that Saul killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands, and this would provoke in Saul this jealousy, right? And the root of that really is because Saul cared more about what man, men thought than what God thought, right? That in the void of relationship with God, he cared more about what man thought. And here in this passage, and I get it, like, this is an awful predicament to be in in this moment in Saul's life, right? Like, so there's grace for this awful situation that he's in as I consider why he did what he did. Uh, as the enemy came upon him, surely they would torture him alive before killing him. Um, and so his situation was super unique in that sense, too. But Saul was always taking his life into his own hands, always choosing to put his life and leadership in his hands rather than God's. And uh, I'm kind of reminded of that song by Frank Sinatra, My Way. Here's a verse from that. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say things that he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows and I did it my way. That the words of someone who kneels strikes me. <laughs> you know, uh, may it not be said of me that I took the words of someone who kneels, but what if, what if the words of someone who kneels were words of submission to God that agreed with heaven about who God said he is and who he says I am in light of who he is and that as I kneel in the heart posture of submission to God and in worship to God and in relationship with God, that the words of I as one who kneels are words of life, are words that are life-giving to me and to those around me. I mean, this morning we were worshiping together and as we sing out together, our faith is built up, right? We're transformed in his presence. We're doing what we're made for. We're, we're becoming more satisfied in him. What if the life of one who kneels was the life that God had for Saul? But Saul takes the way of man. 
see if this works. I don't know. There we go. Saul takes the way of man, and the scriptures say there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in the way of death. And the way of man is familiar to Saul. It's the path of comfort, excuse me, uh, the path of selfishness, comfort, and isolation. The way of man is the path of selfishness, comfort, and isolation. And so, in terms of selfishness, Saul does what he wants, when he wants to do it, because he wants to do it. <laughs> and we see this time and time again, from chasing David to uh, making a sacrifice instead of obeying God. Um, comfort, the path of least resistance, the path of pain avoidance, right? Saul, why did he make a sacrifice early in a, earlier in his story? Um, he was supposed to wait for Samuel to come and make a sacrifice. He doesn't wait. And um, it's because the people are antsy. The people are leaving. The people are anxious. And so what does he do? He fears the people more than he fears the Lord. He cares more about what the people think than what the Lord said to do. So it's this place that makes you feel more temporarily comfortable. But it's also a place of isolation, that void of relationship with God. In the void of relationship with God comes growing dissatisfaction, or excuse me, growing dysfunction. And in growing dysfunction, as you see happening in Saul, to going and consulting evil spirits, trying to murder David, the only reason he didn't keep trying is because he lost track of him, right? Uh, in, in, or he couldn't follow him into the Philistine camp. And so, like, he was in this downward inner spiral in terms of his heart. And what happened is he became more, his world became smaller and smaller and smaller relationally. Have you ever seen this in someone else's life or has this ever been part of your story? Where when you're not in a good place and how it affects your relationships, right? And so what you see in Saul, see repentance, <laughs> repentance can rebuild relationships, right? You can turn and, and rebuild and reconcile. There's hope, but if there's not repentance, <laughs> there's isolation. Does that make sense? And so, void of relationship, it's isolation. And really, guys, this, this way of man, there's, there's another phrase for this, too, that's worth mentioning. It's the fear of man. It's caring about what man thinks more than what God thinks. And it contrasts with the way of Jesus or the fear of the Lord. And underneath all of this, this, this way of man or this path of selfishness and comfort, isolation, underneath all of this is the lies of the enemy to create fear. There's pride that takes control. And in unrepentance, it leads to destruction. It's interesting that they would take Saul's bones and place them back home under a tamarisk tree. A tamarisk tree is an evergreen. And in Genesis 33, we see that the tamarisk tree represents God as an everlasting God. And the everlasting kingdom would not come from Saul, right? His bones are buried under this tree in this passage. We know it wasn't from Saul. Thank God. 
Um, it didn't come from David. It would come through his family line, but it wouldn't come directly from David either. We're, we're always, as preachers of this sermon series, making the point, it's not that David was good and Saul was bad. It's that David was repentant and Saul was not, right? That the only true hero of this story, as with all of the Bible narrative, is Jesus. That this, this everlasting kingdom would come from our everlasting king, Jesus. A better king. And it came a better way. It's interesting, right, that Saul would take his life when the enemy was coming upon him. And Jesus, when the enemy was coming upon him under crucifixion, would give his life away. See, this is opposite from the way of man. This is the way of Jesus. And my main point is that the way of Jesus is preparation, persecution, and paradise. And you might think, well, persecution and paradise? Like, which one is it? <laughs> this seems absurdly contradictory, right? Uh, but you have to understand that the context is an, this everlasting kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is highly paradoxical. And if you don't know, paradox means something that is seemingly, absurdingly contradictory <laughs> until it's explained and you find deep truth in it. So to die is gain, is a kingdom paradox, a paradox of the kingdom of God. Erwin McManus, author and pastor, decades ago was fearing taking a faith-filled risk. And the Lord spoke to him, to die is gain. And first he thought, that's not the verse I wanted to hear. He wanted to be comfortable, right? <laughs> no, but then he yielded to that word, and he received that word, and that word broke fear off his life. And he said, I've been living a life of adventure ever since. What about uh, another kingdom paradox? To lead is to serve, right? That Jesus said, look, all these other cultures, all these other pagan nations, they lord over by way of their leadership. The way they lead, right, is oppressive or selfish or, and, and abusive. Not so with you. Not so with you. He said, you're to serve. If you want to be the greatest, you'll be servant of all. Serve and empower those who you're called to lead. What about the first shall be last, and the last shall be first? Right? Three weeks ago, I stood up here with two kiddos, and they discipled us through a testimony of God bringing breakthrough to a man in a department store. And what the Lord does is he raises up what society perceives as weak. And he says, these are the kingdom leaders in my kingdom. Unless you become like a child, you cannot enter it. Don't keep them from coming to me. The kingdom belongs to such as these, right? It's worth investigating. What does that mean, right? <laughs> Let's take a deep, what does it look like for me to grow in childlike faith? What does it look like for me today to follow Caden and Kenton, um, the kids of our church. Like, really? Like, because this is the way of the kingdom of God. And so, 
These are kingdom paradoxes, but I mentioned the first one is preparation. The first way of Jesus is the path of preparation. And this has to do with the posture of the heart. You remember last week, uh, and I already said it, but John Jordan, he said, look, the, the real big difference between Saul and David was, was that David's heart was postured toward God, right? And so this is an issue of the posture of of the heart. I was in prayer with Henry and Rich on Tuesday morning, and it just hit my spirit that Jesus' heart is postured toward us. Like right now. Like he's our good shepherd. Not in name only, but because he's actually guiding and guarding and feeding us now, right? He's our healer. Uh, someone got healed today. Amen. <laughs> in the prayer room before the service. Um, he's our healer. Uh, there were, by the way, there were a couple healings, uh, word of knowledge, uh, about a hurt foot ankle area weeks ago in our service. You may remember that. Um, someone had pain for nearly every day for three years and they are healed. They were healed in that service. Someone was, and also, yeah, amen. Praise God. Go ahead. I won't, I won't. So, um, also, someone was healed in their back uh, who was on live stream that day. There was a word of knowledge that somebody had about God healing a back, and they were healed. And so, praise Jesus. He's healing, but he's, I believe he's healing people today in our service. This is who he is. He's active in who he is, right? And so, Jesus, is his heart is postured toward us. He's not just saying, listen to me. He's listening to us. His heart is postured toward us. But he calls us to posture our heart toward him as preparation. Because there are days of trouble, right? There are days of trouble, and this really leads into persecution, right? But there are days of trouble. He doesn't say if trouble comes. He says when. And it's important that our hearts stay ready. He says things like keep awake, keep alert, stay awake, be watchful, and pray. Right? These are all Jesus sayings. And it's important that we continue to posture our heart toward him. It's interesting. They fasted seven days after burying Saul, Saul's bones, in tribute to the king. And Jesus said, our king, Jesus, said that when he ascends into heaven on that day or in that era or the day in which we live, we should fast. Why? Because he's, it's a way of posturing our hearts. It's a way of preparing, of, well, number one, getting in touch with our desperate need for God. Like, do you know that we desperately need God, whether we know or think we do or not? <laughs> but fasting's a way to get in touch with that. Fasting's a way to cultivate spiritual hunger. So as fasting is mentioned in this passage, I'm reminded that a way of Jesus uh, that is the path of preparation is to fast. Right? It's not just to fast, but it's to fast to prepare our hearts. There are other ways. By the way, we're starting our 21-day fast January 14th. Preaching a sermon, More Reasons for Fasting, January 7th. So a little plug there. Um, but we've seen so much breakthrough through fasting as well. So, so many reasons for fasting. We're learning more about fasting together as a family. Um, other ways to posture our heart, as I think you know, are community, prayer, mission, together. Posturing our hearts toward Jesus in and out of season, like he did with the Father, 
positions us to encounter him and fall more in love with him. Creating conditions for us to stay on his path, even in times of trouble or even persecution. Consider Jesus, he was sorrowful to the point of death, like he could have died of sorrow. Like just from the sorrow, he could have died, <laughs> right? He was so postured toward the Father, though. He was so conditioned. You know how we exercise for conditioning, right? We practice for conditioning to get better at what we're doing. He was so exercised, so conditioned in the heart posture toward his father that in that hour of greatest darkness, what did he do? He could have ran. You ever think of that? Like he could have just left it all. He could have just abandoned faith. I don't know. He didn't give up his deity. Can God abandon faith? There's the sense in which he really couldn't have <laughs> because of who he is. Um, in that he's sinless, but he could have sinned. He was tempted in every way to sin, right? He could have ran. He could have um, called down 12 legions of angels. Those were his words, not mine. He could have crushed the enemy in pride, right? Like, not a thing, just like a breath. Like, no big deal. Like, you realize the enemy is no match for the Lord. Jesus, of all people, knows that. Like, he knows the backstory. He's seen a lot of the spirit realm, all of it, <laughs> and he's not afraid, right? <laughs> and he could have in pride, in the way of man, in the way of comfort, in the way of pain avoidance, in the way of the path of least resistance, he could have just called down 12 angels, right? 12 legions of angels, rather. He could have killed himself. He was sorrowful to the point of death. He could have just ended it. But he didn't do any of that, right? Before he was arrested and leaned in as the enemy approached, he leaned in to the Father for yet another encounter with the Father's love, another encounter of the Lord strengthening his heart. Brothers and sisters, even in those dark nights of the soul, may we keep leaning in to God. Speaking of kingdom paradox, one commentator says, Jesus' cross is one of the great paradoxes of all time. His death has brought us life. His crown of thorns has become our crown of glory. His pierced heart has given us a new heart. His abject humiliation has brought us unimaginable dignity. So Jesus faced persecution unto death, even death on a cross, the most humiliating and most painful death. There was a man in the Middle East uh, in the last year, uh, I believe it was in the last year, it was very recent, um, who came to faith. And um, ISIS, uh, a group from ISIS had heard about this. And they beat him with blocks, but he did not bruise. And they, uh, they covered him in kerosene. And they set him on fire. And he did not burn. And he's being interviewed and he's talking about this story. And I reference it to say uh, a couple things. One, uh, it's not lost on me that that's not everybody's story. That there are martyrs every day for the sake of the gospel. Who actually die um, and suffer that way. Um, but one, I share it to testify that today, 
Jesus draws near to those who are persecuted. That Jesus draws near to the brokenhearted. And I believe, whether in life or death, Jesus is nearest when we are in our most pain. That Jesus is nearest when we are in our most trouble. And I just want to say that the way of Jesus is this posturing of the heart that even if persecution and even if death come, that we can live like Jesus, right? That we can live like Jesus. And he meets us in that brokenness as a great friend. It's, the Bible says there's no greater friend than one who lays down his life for his friend. And Jesus laid down his own life in love rather than taking his own, rather than taking his own life like Saul did in defeat. On the week before Advent, can we talk about Jesus and why he came? Henry said it. He came to die that we would live. This great exchange, right? And he lives that we are raised to new life with him. And his success is not measured in conquests or championships, but rather obedience. And that's true for us too, right? God is looking for those who will follow him. <laughs> and Jesus learned his obedience by what he suffered, says the scriptures. And as a result, though, he got us and we got him. And that's paradise. <laughs> the way of Jesus is paradise. And I'm not talking about the new Jerusalem someday, though that is the culmination of it all. Uh, to what Jake said earlier. And that is true. That even now, Jesus, the person, is our paradise. That we are fully satisfied in him. That everything we want, everything we need is found in Jesus. There's no one more beautiful and no one more good and we're made for beauty and goodness. He is all we're made for. How else can I say it? Jake, can you come and play? The way of Jesus is the path of preparation, persecution, and paradise. You may be in a season of peace and quiet right now where you're just preparing and you don't know what you're preparing for and you're just kind of, you know, you're, you're in this place of waiting and watching and wondering. I just encourage you to keep leaning in and waiting on the Lord. To keep in community. Finding places to connect in smaller community. Finding places to connect with God in prayer. Finding ways like fasting to connect with the Lord. Are you in a season of wartime? Maybe it's not persecution, but maybe it's a dark night of the soul or troubling circumstances or relationships. I encourage you, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now that sounds kind of sharp or, or like, okay, how do, how do I do that? <laughs> I just encourage you as Jesus did that night, to lean in. Like I said, he's nearest to the brokenhearted. You know that when Jesus, that last hour before he was arrested under crucifixion, went to the Father, he was strengthened by angels. <laughs> I just want you to know that God, I keep saying it, but God wants to meet you in that place. And when you turn to him, I believe we experience him most tangibly in those hardest places. 
Make him your your refuge. I, I hear the Lord saying that he is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. And so especially if you're experiencing a hard time right now, I encourage you, let him strengthen your heart and be your portion. Take refuge in him and you will have a God story of his faithfulness. Guaranteed because he promises. Amen. Are you just like in an an ecstatic place with Jesus where it's like, yes, he is my paradise. This is so beautiful. I'm experiencing him tangibly every day. And this is just a wonderful life with Jesus. That's wonderful. (laughs) Keep receiving it from him and enjoy his presence and his glory. But you know, this is not just a path for personal victories or personal encounters, or pleasing the Father. This is a path, the way of Jesus is a path of partnering with Jesus to advance his kingdom. And I'll close with this. You know, fasting, for example, is not just for the purpose of getting in touch with our need for God or cultivating spiritual hunger. Fasting actually delivers people from demons. Like, Jesus said, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. And so we lay hands on the sick and we pray for healing. We prophesy life and we bring abundant life to people through the ways and the, the gifts of God, right? We, we cast out demons. We raise people uh, to life spiritually and physically. And, and, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's God who does it. But he calls us to partner with him. He says, you do it. I have all authority. Now you go in my name and you do it. So it's not just for personal victories. It's not just to please the father that we walk this path. It's to partner with Jesus, to grow his kingdom. We forgive and we destroy the works of the devil by forgiving, right? And our spoils are not our enemies' heads. Our spoils are not the armor of our enemies. Our spoils are the abundant life that God allowed us to release to those around us through intimacy with him and resulting ministry. Amen? And I'm not talking about ministry as in like church staff. I'm talking about the people of God, right? Like the ministry of the Lord has been given to us and we have a calling on our lives to manifest his glory, to reach people. So whether in persecution or in paradise, whether in pain or in glory, I exhort us to continue to posture our hearts toward Jesus in his pattern and in his power. Amen. Amen.